Hi, this is Butch Bella, author of Sales Management for Dummies, and you're listening to Act Local Marketing for Small Businesses. Act Local Marketing for Small Businesses, episode 149. And there's no stopping us right now. I feel so close to you right now. Welcome to Act Local, marketing for small business with your host, Kaylin Amadio. Kaylin helps smart, savvy, and motivated business owners like you kick it up a notch online, even if you've tried and been disappointed before, or technology just isn't your thing. Act Local will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. Whether you need help with online media, social media, video, or mobile marketing, Act Local will guide you into the 21st century with easy tips, tricks, and techniques that get your local business seen and heard. Each week, Kaylin features a new tip you can use today, as well as a range of guest experts who are passionate about helping local business owners thrive. And now here's your host, digital media maven, Kaylin Amadio. Welcome to Act Local Marketing for Small Business. This is episode 149, and I am the boomer gal, Kaylin Amadio. Every week here at Act Local Marketing Podcast, I share a strategy with you that I call today's takeaway, where I'm going to give you an action item that you can walk away with right now, and if you implement it, it's going to help you grow your business. And of course, each week I invite a guest expert to help you with some aspect of your business. And today we welcome back a much-loved guest to talk about corporate marketing that can actually heal the world. So stay tuned. What do you think is a company's obligation to the world? It's easy to find stories in the media about corporations that engage in legal activities that seem less than moral, shall we say. So I ask again, what is a business's obligation? Is it solely a fiduciary responsibility to its shareholders or or the private owners of that company? Or is there a bigger picture that they should be taking into account? And no matter how you answer that question, there's no right or wrong answer to this. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I'm just asking you to contemplate it. It's an interesting question, especially during this political season with presidential candidates like Bernie Sanders on the left and Donald Trump on the right. So let's get to today's takeaway. I promised you that action item that you can walk away with now that will help you grow your business. So here it is. A company doesn't have to be huge, as Trump would say to make an impact on the world. Even solopreneurs and very small businesses can make large impacts or start impactful movements that make the world a better place to live and to work. In studies, several noted experts have found that trust is the number one factor to produce customer loyalty. It is a form of social capital, they call it. As noted in the new book from my guest today, which we will be discussing in, in, in more in depth in just a few minutes, customers feel good about supporting socially and environmentally responsible businesses, even to the point of being willing to pay higher prices for goods and services. 
Your takeaway for today is to put yourself in the shoes of a potential customer who is very socially and or environmentally responsible and look at your marketing messages. Do your messages only speak to money as in get a great deal or this much off when you buy now? Or do you share your company's core principles and what I call the big why you are in business? Sharing why and the principles that guide your business will build trust with customers and solidify loyalty with them far more than offering this month's special deal. So go for a walk, clear your head. Walking is a great way to clear out the cobwebs and let the creative juices flow. And while you're doing that, orient yourself from that different point of view of the socially and or environmentally responsible consumer where that's those are their number one calls to action when they're looking at a company put yourself in their point of view then brainstorm your overall marketing message and strategies you just may surprise yourself with the opportunities that become clear by simply changing your point of view feel free to drop me a line to ask at actlocalmarketing.com and I can help point you in the right direction if you are looking for help in analyzing your current marketing and how you can appeal to a different or broader audience and I will help you figure that out and that is today's takeaway so please find me on Facebook Twitter Google Plus YouTube all of the popular social media programs follow me so that I can get to know you and please tell your social media followers about this podcast act local marketing subscribe to it and leave me a review in iTunes those reviews are really important for getting the podcast noticed by busy boomer business owners just like you and uh, together we'll expand the economy by growing our businesses with one another so it's time to take a quick break but when we come back, my guest, Shell Horowitz, is back, and he's stepping to the front of the room. So stay tuned. Tax Local is the place where busy entrepreneurs like you gain more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the Internet gives them the power to bring their business to the next level. Kaylin returns after a short break with more strategies and techniques to develop your inner warrior. We'll be right back. Local fans, this is Kaylin Amadio, and I have an exciting announcement. Today, October 7th, 2014, I'm launching a new podcast to celebrate the realization of a dream. You've heard me speak often on Act Local about the book I've been writing. Well, that book is becoming a reality. I have a contract to publish The Boomer's Ultimate Guide to Social Media. Soon, baby boomers everywhere will have all my strategies and guidelines in one swell book that'll help them build a map to social media success. To help promote The Boomer's Ultimate Guide to Social Media and subsequent books in this series, I've put together The Boomer's Ultimate Guide podcast, where boomers like me and like you can come together to learn, share, and grow a thriving business and a vibrant life. 
This podcast is 30 minutes in length and comes in both audio and video formats. I interview guest experts on business, finance, health, wellness, longevity, food, sex, dating, and more. You don't want to miss this next chapter in my life because I'm going to help you live yours more fully. Check out Boomer's Ultimate Guide Podcast.com. So close to you right now. Welcome to Act Local, marketing for small business with your host, Kaylin Amadio. Kaylin helps smart, savvy, and motivated business owners like you kick it up a notch online, even if you've tried and been disappointed before, or technology just isn't your thing. Act Local will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. And now here's your host, digital media maven, Kaylin Amadio. Hey, welcome back. It's the boomer gal, Kaylin Amadio. And I am here with a, a guest who has been on the show before, a very interesting man who's got a great new book out that you're going to want to know all about. Let me tell you a little bit about him. I have his bio here and I want to share it with you. For over a decade, my friend Shell Horowitz, whom we call the transformpreneur, has been showing business owners how to be more profitable by being both green and ethical. Shell shows businesses how to go green affordably and effectively and how to market the green commitment to win new customers. Turn those customers into your fans and turn those fans into ambassadors for your brand. Now, recently he's focused on the product profit motive as a powerful tool for turning hunger and poverty into sufficiency, war into peace, and climate change into planetary balance. Shell is an international speaker, transformational business consultant, and the multiple award-winning author of not one, not two, but ten books, including the very long-running category bestseller, Guerrilla Marketing. His title, Guerrilla Marketing Goes Green. And, of course, this new book, which I'm excited to tell you about today and the reason why Shell is stopping by, Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World, both of which were co-authored with the, the legendary J. Conrad Levinson, the father of Guerrilla Marketing. You can visit Shell at transformpreneur.com. I'll, I'll create that link for you in case you don't have, you can't remember that. And um, if you're asking yourself, is transformpreneur a word? No, but when you're a transform entrepreneur, it is. Right, Shell? Welcome right. To, back to Act Local Marketing, Shell Horowitz. A pleasure to be with you, Kaylin. Um, just to clarify, I didn't write the first guerrilla marketing book, but I did do two collaborations with Jay, uh, Guerrilla Marketing Goes Green and the new one, Guerrilla Marketing to Heal. Right. Guerrilla Marketing Goes Green, that is that is one of um, of Shell's titles in the Guerrilla Marketing series and Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World, right? I don't know if I miss, misspoke, but absolutely. So, all right, this new book, it's very exciting. All the, everyone's talking about it. I know you've been working very hard on uh, getting ready to get this this book out, but I have a very serious question for you, and and Shell has been on the podcast before, and we've run into each other at a book conference, and and we're connected on social media. So, you know, we we I'm using air quotes; no one can see me, but we see each other, you know, around the interwebs, that kind of thing. But Shell, I got to ask you, you know, you're talking about solving the world's most important and likely difficult problems, right? Hunger and poverty and war 
and climate change. And there have been very wise people trying to solve these same problems for thousands of years. So tell me, what makes you think that you will succeed when so many before you have failed? Well, there are two pieces to that answer, Caitlin. Piece number one is that all of a sudden we live in an age where solutions that weren't possible before are possible now. We know so much more about how the world works and how the world really works, not just how we thought it worked 200 years ago. And that's one of the pieces. And then the other is we have tried to end these things with primarily guilt and shame. Guilt and shame don't motivate very well. So my idea is why not try something different like enlightened self-interest? And I know this sounds very abstract and up in the clouds and how the heck are you going to do that? But when you break these things down into little pieces, you find that the pieces are actually pretty solvable and that it's possible to develop products and services that really make a difference on one or more of these issues. Hmm. Uh, all right. So, so let's take this step by step so people can sort of see themselves in this problem-solving mode that, that you address in guerrilla marketing to heal the world. So if I'm an ordinary business person, how can I start addressing these global issues? What are sort of my baby steps? You know, because like you, I'm a big believer. You put one foot in front of the other, and if you keep doing that long enough, you've traveled very far. So give us some of these these baby steps that can get us started before we we want to run with it. Sure. Well, one is that you work from the end you have in mind back to how you get there. So, for example, you know, when Steve Jobs told his team to do the iPod, he didn't say, I want a better Walkman. He said, I want a thousand songs that I can carry in my pocket. Right. So with that in mind, they were able to create this incredible new technology because they knew where they were going. And this, they just re-engineered the, the roadmap going backwards. Um, thinking about abundance and not scarcity, that we, we actually have the knowledge and the resources to solve these. We've deployed them all wrong a lot of the times. And uh, there's, there's a whole lot of things that we know how to do that we didn't used to know how to do in terms of, of, of doing these things. We know how to make, for example, uh, a certain unit of energy do much more work than it used to. Mm. For example, um, I live in a house, by the way, built in 1743. Wow. And that house, not only do we have solar, but we also, all of our fixed lighting is LED. Mm -hmm. Now, LEDs, to get the same light, actually, I think, better light from the lamps, the old-style incandescent lamps, I, I think the light that we have is of better quality, and it uses something like 120th the energy. Right. So we're making progress on this all over the place. And then you look at thinking holistically. So looking at the big picture. So sometimes <laughs> one of my favorite examples is, uh, you know, if you're, the, if you're NASA and you think we have to be able to let astronauts write in space, space is a zero gravity environment, so a ballpoint pen won't work too well. Right. There's nothing to draw the ink down. Right. So you have two options. You can spend hundreds of millions of dollars developing alternative pens, or you can sharpen some pencils. <laughs> that's where I thought you were going. I'm like, hey, why not take a pencil? Yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier. So, so that's the holistic approach. You don't look at a pen as the solution. You, you look at the need is to get writing on paper. 
Shell, would you say that that part of the the business vernacular, or maybe that's not the right word, but the the way businesses think and the way that they've always gone about doing things includes scarcity. You were talking about thinking in terms of abundance instead of scarcity. And I feel like scarcity is just part of the definition of the way businesses think. Well, yeah, and that's one of the things we need to change then, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, that's that's what you're saying, but how that is a, a huge mind shift for yeah, people. it is. And it means, for example, that market share for most companies is really pretty irrelevant. Okay, I'm a marketing consultant and copywriter serving green and transformational businesses. And what portion of the market could I reasonably surface? It's going to be something like 0.000003%. I could not manage to have a large market share because there's only so much of my brain power and so much of my time to go around. So if I have enough, what does it matter that if you have enough also? And I find actually that one of the best ways to break down the scarcity paradigm and replace it with the abundance paradigm is to look at how you can compete with your competitors. And just as an example, I've written now two books with Jay Conrad Levinson. Jay was, he has now passed on, Jay was a marketing consultant and copywriter and speaker. Mm -hmm. I'm a marketing consultant and copywriter and speaker. And by my going to Jay and saying, let's do a book together, I brought him into a market where he had no credibility, the green world, and now uh, subsequently the world of, of social transformation in business. And he brought me the incredible power and branding of the guerrilla marketing machine that, right. um, that has been going on since 1984 and that is the biggest marketing brand in history. And I am forever and ever now a guerrilla marketing author. Nobody can ever take that away from me. So we both won. Right, right. No, that's that's a great way to look at it. And I I believe, as you do, uh, it's it's much easier to partner up with someone and use your strengths. Yeah. Provided that you don't have the exact same strength. If you have the exact same strengths, then you really are head-to-head -head competitors. Yeah. But most of the time, that's not the way it's working. You each have your own strengths, and together you're stronger than you yeah. are separately. And even as closely aligned as FedEx and the United States Postal Service have an operations partnership, and they they overlap quite a bit in what they do, but they have areas of core competency. The post office is really good at the last mile, and FedEx is really good at knowing where packages are at any time. Mm -hmm. So how does the post office manage to do express mail without having to give out millions and millions of refunds because they don't know where their mail is? They hire FedEx to move it airport to airport. And a lot of people probably don't realize that. Yeah. I was pretty amazed when I found out. But yeah. it makes perfect sense because, they're, as you said, they're, they're working on each other's core strengths and minimizing each other's core weaknesses. Right, exactly. So in terms of uh, what, who this podcast is for, and that's for local businesses, you know, when you walk down Main Street and, and all of the solopreneurs to very small businesses to even not necessarily small businesses, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for you, the business owner, to look around you within your community and find partners that are not your competitors that can help make you stronger yeah. together 
rather than Agreed. thinking everybody, you know, I've got to, oh, I've got to compete with that guy over there and that guy over there. And there's only so many people walking by the store. That's scarcity. And that's exactly what you don't want because that's limiting, right? Right. Whereas instead, like I, I live outside of Northampton and Amherst, Massachusetts, two towns that both have a very strong restaurant network. Right. And one of the reasons they have strong restaurant networks is because the restaurant owners got together and started doing restaurant festivals. Mm. So first there was the Taste of Northampton, which ran for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And I think the number of restaurants in town increased by like 30% during the time that they were doing that. And now there's the Taste of Amherst. And so you go out on the town common and you can sample small portions of food at very low prices from 30 or 40 different restaurants. And it makes people come in from an hour away from Worcester or from Hartford uh, or from Brattleboro, Vermont. And um, those people come back during the year. So it actually expands the market that these restaurants had by banding together rather than thinking of one another's competitors. Yeah, exactly. And the the only time you will ever hear me quote George W. Bush is (laughs) a wonderful phrase, make the pie higher. Oh, I like it. Make the pie higher. Yeah, make the pie higher. So your this is your tenth book, Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World, correct? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how it's different from the other guerrilla marketing books, other than the obvious. You know, if you know if the com- entire subject matter is different, you know, I get that. But <laughs> guerrilla marketing, when I think of guerrilla marketing, I think of KG. Never, never thought of before twists and turns, but I don't think of it as healing the world. So, so tell me, just tell me more about the book. What's inside the covers before we tell people how to get a copy? Tell me what's in it. Okay, um, guerrilla marketing was a concept that my late co-author came up with, and it's the idea that business, small business particularly, can be quick and nimble and move in and seize opportunities, and sometimes even get out again before the big dogs even notice. And um, this book takes that idea and applies it to the principle of of solving these enormous problems in the world. So there's um, the core of the book was in Guerrilla Marketing Goes Green, which I did several years ago with Jay. And then I added about 40,000 words of new material, principally on these bigger picture questions. And then I did take out some of the Marketing 101 stuff to make room for it. I've got other books that <laughs> that cover the Marketing 101. Right. And as far as what's in it, well, among other things, there are some profiles of people doing really, really cool stuff. I have a, a section called Mother Nature Chief Engineer in which we look at things like, well, if you want to learn how to build a really good bridge, your best teacher might be a spider. Um, If you want to know how to extract water from a dry environment, there's something called the Namib Desert Beetle that figured this out millennia ago. Um, You know, and and there are just gazillions examples of of nature's technology solving the problems that we face. Right. And uh, photosynthesis. I'm I'm reading actually a book called Biomimicry right now by Janine Benyus, who's one of the people I feature in the book. And she talks about learning to duplicate photosynthesis, which is far more efficient in converting uh, sunlight to energy than any solar collector we've ever designed. Oh, interesting. That's a really interesting concept. Yeah, so that's one. And then there's the idea, there's a profile of Amory Lovins, another practical visionary 
And this man built a house in Old Snowmass, Colorado, which is a suburb of Aspen. Okay. Uh, Kaylin, I'm sure you know what Aspen's major industry is. Skiing yep. and, and marijuana now. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the skiing part. <laughs> what, do you, what do you need to have a skiing economy? You need snow. Yep. What do you need for snow? Cold weather. Okay. So this man built a house in 1983 that doesn't have a furnace, and he built it outside of Aspen, Colorado, where the main industry is based on cold weather. Huh. And it's warm enough in his house that he has banana plants growing and fruiting in his sunroom. Wow. So he built basically what we now call a net zero house. Right. A house that does not consume more energy than it produces. And he did this 33 years ago. We have known how to build net zero houses in the Colorado Rockies, for goodness sake, 33 years ago. Right. You know, so oh what, what's possible is just infinite almost. Um, yeah. um, there's also a lot of uh, material in the book about how to market green products and services and social transformation products and services. Uh, for example, I go into three different types of buyers for green products and services. There are the deep greens in which I am one. And these are the people who they'll always look for the green option. It's going to be the thing that's most important to them. Right. And then there are people like my mother-in-law, who I call the Lazy Greens. And my mother-in-law found out that I was going to tour the Markel paper factory several years ago. Markel is 100% recycled and has been since, get this, 1950? Really? 950. I didn't even know that we recycled back then. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was minus six, so I, I don't have this on firsthand uh, but, uh, you know, they, they, they've been doing, they were founded in 1939 and they switched to recycled in 1950, not for environmental reasons, but because in the aftermath of World War II, it was hard to get virgin paper. Right. But then in the, really the last 10 years or so, they've uh, discovered that it's very good for business to promote the recycling that they've been doing all along. Mm -hmm. Well, they make paper toweling and napkins. And yeah, toilet paper, toilet paper, paper right. products like that. And they're all recycled. So my mother-in-law says to me in her best queen's voice, I always buy Markel because it's recycled. But she's not a deep green. She's a lazy green. She's maybe a three on the 10 scale. And the real reason that she always buys Markel is because, yes, it's recycled, and it's also right next to the other brands in the supermarket she's already in. Right. Okay. So she's not going to go out of her way to do the right thing, but she'll do the right thing when it's convenient. Okay. And then the third category is the non-green. And if you try to sell to the non-green the way you sell to the deep green, it's going to be about as effective as running the same ad in the National Enquirer and the New Yorker. Yes. Yeah, it's not going to work. But does that mean that the non-greens won't buy? Greens? No, they'll absolutely buy. But they'll buy on the basis of the actual product benefits. It's okay. softer, it's more durable, it's um, better for your health, all, all those sorts of things. Okay, okay. So your messaging obviously needs to reflect that. And there's a lot in the book about how to do that with many examples. Wow. I know I was going through the book earlier today to uh, get ready for this interview. And uh, and I was going to, you know, you start the table of contents. I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, as I go, go through section by section, I'm like, oh, Shell's really got something here. That's why I wanted you to go through a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. So people know what's, you know, inside the covers. Stephen uh, M. R. Covey did the forward for the earlier guerrilla marketing book I did, and what you just said was exactly what his assistant reported to me about how he reacted when he was reading the book. Oh, that's so cool! 
And a lot of that book is in this book, too, plus a whole lot more that wasn't in that one. Right, right. So how can people get a copy of this book? Uh, the easiest way is to go to goingbeyondsustainability.com or transformpreneur.com. Uh, <laughs> and both of them have a link to the book. And that link will take you to your choice of um, several booksellers, including the independent bookselling group, um, which is BookSense, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a few others. Or if you'd like to get your copy autographed, there's also a link to buy it from my site. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a very affordable twenty four ninety five. so it's really a no-brainer because it, I think it will save the typical business a good deal of money uh, on their energy and on their way of thinking about things as well as generate all sorts of new revenues by helping them create green and social change products and services and then market them as they're creating them because it's not enough just to create them. Right. Plus, you, you'll get a good insight on how to market to the uh the you know 10 out of 10 the 8 to 10 out of 10 on your scale of being green right what is it that they're actually looking for you might you might have products that are already right up their alley or tweaks that you can make yeah to or your products that'll make them perfect for that market new audiences for a product that you already have i, yes. I go through a couple of case studies of those in the book including an, an enzyme that makes it possible to flush less often and uh, mm-hmm. there are the obvious markets for that but then there are some non-obvious markets that i explore and and the, it's just so cool to be living in a time where just one of my very favorite examples of how do you do a product that actually makes money while addressing social transformation is solar powered led lanterns and you think so what Well, here's the so what. They're replacing kerosene. Kerosene is nasty. It is toxic. It is flammable. Lots of people are killed or maimed in kerosene fires. And let's face it, the light is crappy. But when you substitute out a solar-powered LED lantern that the family can take the money they were spending on kerosene every month, let's just say it's $2. So for 10 months, they're paying $2, and then they own this $20 lantern. Well, immediately... Once they've paid off the lantern, they have $2 more in their monthly uh, disposable income. And if their income is $20 a month in some place like, let's just say Cameroon, um, you know, you've just increased their buying power 10%. Then on top of that, you're providing better quality and longer lasting light so that the kids can get better grades in school and therefore get better jobs later. And the parents, after a day working in agriculture, maybe they can do some little craft business because now they excuse me, now they can see well enough to, to actually do that. And so this this amazing $20 device that lowers pollution, um, increases the wealth of the family that has it, is uh, eliminating fire hazard, it's safer. Right. It's, it's working on so many levels, and it's such a profitable business that there are at least three companies doing them. Hmm. I never thought about it. I mean, we, it's not like in the United States people are using kerosene lanterns anymore, but I guess there are a lot of underdeveloped countries where that's the case. Exactly. And I'll give you a domestic example, okay? You know, you always hear, oh, LED bulbs, they're too expensive, but you have to look holistically because it's not just the cost of the bulb. Let's just say you own a sports arena and you've got 50-foot high ceilings and you've got 50 light bulbs in that 50-foot high ceiling. An LED light is going to last 12 or 15 years 
Um, even the CFL, you're going to have to send somebody out in the cherry picker every um, two or three years to change each bulb. Um, I did some math on this, and I came up with an astonishing figure that over the life of the bulbs, they were probably going to save about $4 million in uh, combined labor and energy. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's absolutely true. And you're hearing that from someone who's a commercial lighting designer. So you're talking oh, about stuff that's, that's right up my alley. That was so, my yeah. that was my first career. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> you're absolutely right. We specify uh, LED all the time. In fact, we almost never specify fluorescent. And of course, uh, incandescent's a big no-no. You can even buy LED lamps today that look like the old-fashioned Edison bulbs with mm -hmm. the filament and stuff, and they're they're marvelous. They look just like those old-fashioned bulbs. They're beautiful. But they're a fraction of the energy. They're four watts, you know, six watts, and you get much more light out of them. And, and they're beautiful. I'm and sitting they're beautiful. right now. We've got I've got five LED bulbs burning between my kitchen and my dining room right now, where I'm sitting. And you know that is less electricity than one of the old-fashioned bulbs. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Plus, the thing about LED, we're fluorescent inside that tube. There's um, different gases and chemicals. There's mercury you know, inside those. So that becomes a problem ultimately at the landfill. Whereas LED, there's no gases or chemicals like that. It's a little circuit board, just like in your computer. It's a little circuit board running, running a little light. So that kind of stuff is, is recyclable, whereas mm. fluorescence not. And let's talk about landfills for a minute because landfills are an untapped resource. And I think probably in 20 years, people are going to be mining landfills and, and pulling out all the stuff we threw away and disassembling it because um, nothing ever decomposes in a that's, landfill. So it's that's awesome. an interesting thought, although I'm not sure that's a job I want. That sounds like one of those micro jobs, dirty jobs. You know, he has that TV show where he goes out and does a, something that most people don't want to do. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it either, but it's going to happen because the economics of recovering some of these rare earths and, and precious metals from like 1980s computers is going to start to make more economic sense than uh, raping the earth to get new ones. That's interesting. It hadn't even occurred to me. Very interesting. Yeah, again, it's a very holistic thing. It, it operates on every level. I mean, um, people don't realize that we have a model for a country that runs almost entirely on renewable energy, and we've had it for a long time, and it's Iceland. Mm. Iceland, other than vehicles, Iceland is pretty much powered by two sources. One is geothermal, and geothermal in Iceland means something very different than it means in the United States. In the United States, it means you drill down to a hole that's 50 degrees all year round. Right. In Iceland, it's about 205 degrees or some, some ridiculous high number like that. It's, it's active volcanoes. Oh, okay. And uh, so every, every little village in Iceland has its own municipal swimming pools with some of those waters like 40 degrees Celsius, which is about 100 degrees. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and it's just a, a given of living in Iceland. Everybody goes to the pools every day and, and basks in the hot water until they turn into prunes. I didn't realize. I knew that it was um, sometimes becoming a hot spot for people to vacation to surprisingly enough, but I, I didn't realize that about that. That's also a hydro country. So yeah. I, actually, even though they're out there in the middle of the ocean, not near anything, they're exporting power to mainland Europe. Are they really? Yeah. Now, how do they do that? I I don't know. Pipes, I guess. <laughs> I, that's, that's an interesting conundrum right there. Yeah. In the I, middle of the I, ocean. 
I didn't find out how they did it, but I did find out that they did it. Huh. Interesting. All right, my friend. Uh, I can't wait to read more of the book. Like I said, I just started it today, so I didn't get through the whole thing. But uh, this this is fascinating, and I'm I'm very proud of you doing another guerrilla marketing book, Thank and you. especially one that's so so different and so important and pertinent to what's going on. Yeah, right and we, we should mention, Kaylin, that I have two self-assessments on the transformpreneur.com site uh, where people can determine how ready they are to market green products and services or to market social transformation products and services, and they, okay. they don't take long to fill out. Okay, so, and I'm going to spell this for people. So imagine if you have the word transform and entrepreneur and you're going to put them together. You're a transform so transform, just as it should be spelled, and then P-R-E-N-E-U-R, transformpreneur.com. And like I said, if you can't remember that or you couldn't write it down uh, at this moment, don't worry about it. Excuse me, I'm going to cough for a second. Do best, I think. I'm going to put a link right there in these show notes. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. And you get an A on spelling. Blocking out my microphone so I don't cough all over everyone. <laughs> I guess that's a, a sign for me that my voice is gone and I can let you go. <laughs> Shell Horowitz, author of ten, 10 books. That's a lot of books. But his latest, <coughs> excuse me, is out now. Guerrilla Marketing. To heal the world. And like I said, I will include these links like um, the transformpreneur.com link, goingbeyondsustainability.com, greenprofitable.com. There's a, f a few different websites that we can we can share with you so that you can get more of Shell Horowitz. Shell, thank you so much for coming back to Act Local Marketing. Oh, it's been a pleasure, and I hope your throat gets better. <laughs> Thank you. I must, I must have swallowed wrong or something. I don't know what I did. So I apologize, everyone, for coughing at you. And, of course, you know that uh, you can come to actlocalmarketing.com and get a new episode every week. We release an episode around 1 p.m. Eastern time each week. And until next time, I would very much like you all to take care. Join Kaylin for more marketing madness each week on Act Local Marketing. It will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. Act Local Marketing for Small Business goes live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern and can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and at actlocalmarketing.com. Have a question for Act Local? Email Kaylin at ask at actlocalmarketing.com. That's A-S-K at actlocalmarketing.com. And she may answer you right on air. Make sure to include your name and business website for a free shout out. Don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about Act Local and leave Kaylin a review at the iTunes store. See you next time on Act Local Marketing for Small Business.